This is a crowd podcast. Rosenberg, H-Bomb, Sugar Ray, Pam and Jam. Pam and Jam, easy to say, hard to understand. Hello, and welcome to episode 18 of We Didn't Start the Fire, the podcast that explores post-war history and the reasons why the world is the way it is today, all done through the lyrics of a number one smash hit from the legend that is Billy Joel. I'm Katie Puckrick. I'm Tom Fordyce. Tom, what's going on here? What are we about to learn all about? Katie, it's a single word lyric, Panmunjom. Panmunjom. And I'll be honest... I had no idea what this was, what it meant, anything about it before I heard this song again. It sounds edible. It does, doesn't it? It's also quite a hard word to say. It seems like the M's and the N's are all in the wrong place. Yeah, but it's important because, Katie, it's the place where the armistice is signed that ends the Korean War in 1953. Okay, we're going to get this thing done and dusted because we've already been exploring North Korea in a previous episode. We explored South Korea in another previous episode. And finally, we're going to get to the meat of the matter today, which is what went down with the Korean War. Yes. And we are doing this, Katie. I think we're both quite excited about today's guest, not only because he served in the Korean War, but because of what has happened afterwards. So Colin Thackeray, Korean War veteran, oldest ever winner of Britain's Got Talent. Welcome to We Didn't Start the Fire. Thank you. Good morning. (laughs) So the first thing I'd like to know, Katie, Colin, how old were you when you went out to Korea? Uh, 20. And was that the first time you had uh, you had seen action? Had you? No, no. I'd, I'd, um, uh, I joined the army at 15. I went to, first went to Malaya um, in 1947 when I was 17. Uh, and I was then you know, chasing people around the jungle and then uh, came home and Having come home, then I was I was posted then to um, a little camp in north the northeast of England in County Durham, and that's where I met my good lady who I was married to for ah. sixty six years, and we married in nineteen fifty, and then in nineteen fifty I shipped off to Korea, two weeks after we were married. Um, that's not much of a honeymoon. No, no, <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't, and then we met up two years later in Hong Kong. Um, because as soon as my regiment, after they'd finished their tour of duty in Korea, instead of coming home, we were sent to Hong Kong. Uh, and um, and Joan joined me there. And uh, that's where we really started our married life. Wow. So you're 20 years old. You're off to the Korean War two yes. weeks after you got married. Yes, right. yes. Uh, that's a radical culture shock. What was your job in the in the war? What did you actually do day to day? Well, I was an artilleryman. That, 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 so I was a gunner all of my army service. Uh, but my job was with the infantry. And I was assistant to a captain who was the uh, one of the um, observation post officers. It's interesting to me that you, as a British person, is fighting in a conflict that, as far as I knew, was an American war, but it, it seems that it was a big uh, UN force that went in there. Yes. Um, in, fa- in fact, one of my medals is a, is a United Nations medal. No, we w- I was a regular soldier and just went where I had to go, and this was my job. And yes, the, the US forces were there because they themselves were part of the United Nations. 
Uh, and it also gave us the opportunity to make an awful lot of friends too, uh, among among all the various people, as Americans, Canadians, New Zealanders, uh, Indians, all mush, all sorts of people uh, out there. And what was your understanding of why Britain was involved in this conflict? Well, it's because because one of the, um, as I understood it, you know, you, you didn't know very much about politics uh, apart from playing rugby and dancing I wasn't interested in very much else <laughs> in those days but we were briefed and we were told that we were going out in, in support of the, the the units that were amassing there as a result of uh, belonging to the United Nations right and so this is what we were there for so the Soviets uh, were backing up North Korea and mm. I guess the UN and the Americans were backing up South Korea that's right yeah so in a way, it was almost like a, a proxy war between mm. the Soviets and, and the U.S. Yes, I suppose you might say that. Yes, yeah. I imagine even the journey out there, Colin, was, was something to remember. How, how did you get out there? You're going out by ship. You're going through Hong Kong or Singapore? Oh, well, yeah. Every, everybody traveled by ship in those days. But no, it, took, it took six weeks to get to Korea. Uh, and we were on a ship called the Empress of Australia. So, uh, yes, yeah, so that was, that was it. We shipped off through a place that's in the news at the moment, the Suez Canal, and uh, stopped off at various places on the way. Oh, Gibraltar, Malta, Sri Lanka, Singapore, Hong Kong, uh, where you were, you got shore leave, you know, to, to go ashore and and do whatever you wanted to Stretch do. Stretch your legs. And were you, were you kicking up your heels? Were you, were you uh, singing, singing and dancing there on shore leave? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we like. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he had just gotten married. Loose lips sink ships here. <laughs> so obviously you're blowing off some steam. Mm. You're having some fun mm. because you know when you get to your destination, there's a war that That's you right. have to fight. Yeah. Did you and your fellow soldiers have a sense of fear? Were you terrified? Of course. <laughs> yeah. The first time you ever go into action. It's, I mean, I'd had a bit of it, you know, in Malaya, but not very much. It was sort of, it, it was sort of going out of patrol all the time. But this was a full-scale war, where the bombardment, our bombardment started, and we went up with the infantry and that sort of thing. Um, and um, so this was full-scale stuff, and it was terrifying. But uh, it's like everything else, you know. You get used to it. You get used to bodies, and and but the thing really upset me, I suppose, most about war was the people. Like the people who lived in the country. It was the refugees. Yeah. Mostly women and kids and old people, you know. Yeah. And then you, you'd, you'd be in a compound, perhaps, and and there'd be, all of a sudden, be a, a crowd of, of, of people there. And they were obviously hungry. They didn't speak, they couldn't speak to us, but they made the motions of being hungry. What We, what we could give them some of our tin rations, you often wonder whether whether they would be able to eat them, but they yeah they you know they were hungry enough to eat anything. And of course, to the kids we gave sweets. Part of British Army rations, very good rations we had, was a tin of chocolate and sweets. Um, and we used to empty those out and give them to the children. You couldn't give them money because money was no good to them. And in any case, it didn't it, didn't, it wasn't worth anything. Uh, but it was upsetting. It, it was upsetting to see them and you think, gosh, you know, I wish I could brew up a good big pot of porridge or something and give it to them all. 
I, I just can't even imagine what it's like for all of you. You would have all been so young. You were 20 years mm-hmm. old. Mm-hmm. And you're going from, you know, a lovely ordered life where mm-hmm. you have enough food to eat and there's love in your life and, mm-hmm. a, you know, a stable country. Mm-hmm. And you're going to a place where a world is being destroyed. And in mm-hmm. fact, you're part of the destroyers mm-hmm. in a way. I That's mean, right. what what does that what does that do to your soul? It, 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 I did a Korean broadcast, actually, just a couple of weeks ago, Korean TV, and I was t- telling them that I admire them nowadays for what they've done to the cities because it was absolute devastation when we were there. There wasn't a building standing. Uh, you know, everything was burning and that sort of thing. You know what war is like. It's just awful. Um, and and it, yes, of course, the guns I was directing... We're adding to that devastation. And and it, it sort of gets you when you think about it. See, quite honestly, you try not to think about it. Because mm. if you did, it would drive you mad if you, know, if you did. Mm. What were the overwhelming sensations when you're going up to the line for the first time? Was it the noise of the guns that struck you first? Uh, yeah, well, we were used to the noise of our own guns, of course. But um, I remember my actually my first big battle was a one we always called the hill 327 um and i think it's because it the the point at the top was 327 meters above sea level um that was my that was my first big battle and it was terrifying absolutely terrifying like how long did it last the i suppose from from our bombardment starting which started in dark it was just about first light when, when the infantry attack started, our infantry started to attack. Uh, and I suppose that lasted all of that morning. And, and we, we, it, it must have been somewhere around about midday when we got up to the top. You know, you just lose track of time. Sure. And it's hours and hours, and you're terrified the whole time. Mm. And and what's the rhythm of what's happening? Is it just incessant, nonstop mm. shooting? Or, mm. it, you know, do people have to actually, like, run out into no man's land and, and make advances that way? Cause no, I don't... You, you were going up a hill. You oh, weren't running up anywhere hill. at the time. Uh, uh, and, and it's just noise. Right. It's the guns, our guns, the rifles, yeah. explosions, grenades. So it's just bong, 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 bang all the time. The the thing that um, strikes me as we're talking about this, Colin, is it, it's almost like a real life video game yeah. where, uh, you know, there's goals, there there's positions that you have to, to reach and, mm. you know, points that you score. Mm-hmm. Who is making the decisions? How do all of you, the pawns in the game, how do you know where to go, what you're supposed to do? How does that work? Well, you're directing your tone, you're, you're brief very carefully. Okay. Um, obviously, before everything starts, so so you knew what's happening. Right. You were well, well briefed. Um, yes, you were. I suppose you 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 probably didn't know as much as you ought <laughs> when you think about it. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, there was a thing called the mushroom syndrome, which I ladies present. I won't talk about. I I don't know. I I can be an unlady. What's the mushroom s- syndrome? Keep them in the dark and fill. What do you feed them on? Oh, okay. <laughs> Keep them in the dark and throw shit at them. <laughs> okay. I got you. Thank you for your gentlemanliness. <laughs> you form bonds, I'm sure, very quickly with your mm. your fellow soldiers in that mm. situation, Colin. Mm. I'm sure you did on the the long voyage yeah. over there, but particularly when you're going through those sort of yeah. things. Mm. And I guess 
a part of that is that when you're going into action, whilst you have that innate human fear for yourself, you also have that incredible fear and concern for your, your friends oh, around absolutely. you. Absolutely. You know, you've heard the phrase, I got your back, you've got my back. That's that's part of military training. So, yes, um, and, and you form bonds. You say bonds. It is really a bond. Because, I mean, there were guys that I knew, unfortunately, quite a number of them got killed and, or taken prisoner um, that I knew better than my brother. It has to, it has to be said. How do, you, how do you cope in that situation when you see someone that you care about killed in action? Well, there's not a lot you can do about it, you know. You, 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 know, uh, you, you say a brief prayer and you go on. Uh, what, what can you do? Did you have any close calls? Yes, um, yeah, I did, yeah. Um, there was a particular uh, battle called the Battle of the Imjim uh, River where the Gloucester Regiment lost an awful lot of men. A lot of their champs went into, into the bag. That, that means being taken prisoner. And I was on my way back, um, having been sent for batteries for our radios. And then I was stopped by the military police. They saying, you ain't going anywhere, mate. I said, why? Because he said, because they're surrounded. And, and the people I was with were, were taken prisoner. Oh. So five minutes earlier, and I would have been one of them. One of the things that strikes me about the Korean War was, um, as far as you all are concerned, UN troops, you know, you're coming into this foreign war. But for the Koreans, it's a civil war, and mm. it's it's brother against brother. It's mm. family mm. against family. Mm. And who's the enemy? You know, who's an ally? Because they're all Koreans. So when you see a Korean, when you see mm. refugees— mm perhaps there's this idea that, uh-oh, the enemy North Koreans are mm. have slipped in yep. to the bunch. The, so thing, the, the other thing that upset you about seeing a lot of civilian um, refugees was sometimes it was spotted that there'd be somebody, a younger man, and he was coming behind him with a, with a rifle, mm. and they were infiltrators. And these were the ones we were after. Right. So these poor people, you know. They were like human shields. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, now, how, how did you know? Well, you knew with the outfits they had because the um, the South Korean Army were had an awful lot of American uniforms. And the reason you got to how you got to know that they were your enemy because they were facing you on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> what was life like between the bouts of fighting? So you you've just left your your wife who you just you yeah. just married. Do letters come? Do food parcels come from home? Not as quickly as you'd like, but we we, we do have a marvellous British Army field post office. And it's run by one of our regiments called the Royal Engineers. And they do a mar- did a marvellous job. Just keep the f- letters coming. You'd see chaps' faces if there was no letters for them. And then, of course, if you didn't, there was no mail. The thing that worried you was a thing that the Americans... We used a American phrase, a dear John. You know what that means? What was the phrase? A dear John. You didn't want a dear oh, John. Oh, a dear John yeah. letter. Yeah. This was when your your loved one at home had sought solace in the arms of someone else. That's right. That's right. Yes. Um, thank God it never happened to me. But I mean, uh, but uh, it, it did happen to some chaps. How would you entertain yourselves in in the langers then? Like, would you have concerts? Would you be getting on your on the drums and singing again? Yeah. What happened was uh, the American. Um, I don't know what they call them now, the people who looked after their welfare, their welfare services. They supplied all sorts of things. And they had purloined a piano. They had 
achieved one. <laughs> one one. <laughs> <laughs> they pinched it. <laughs> <laughs> the spoils of war. And and there was saxophone, tr- uh, trumpets, drums. That's right. They formed this little combo, and I sang with them. And um, I never forget the guy. I and I just loved to meet up with him again. He he probably might be still alive. But his name was Ham. All I didn't know the rest of his name. His name was, and he was great big black guy, you know, got a huge, great big hands, who could span more than an octave. And he oh, what a wonderful pianist. Because he was a jazz, jazz pianist, professional. And um, I'll never ever forget that guy. Okay, Katie, let's have a few deep breaths after those remarkable stories. Have some ads, and we'll be back shortly. My name is Jill Lepore. I'm an American historian. But over the last few years, I've been troubled by some pretty big questions about the present. Why is it so hard for us to agree on what's true? Why does it feel so impossible to know anything anymore? So I started a podcast, The Last Archive, to find answers, to trace a history. Listen to The Last Archive on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. I'm interested in how you maintained your stamina, because one of the things that struck me about what they're now calling the forgotten war, because I guess people at home mm, didn't mm. really have an awareness that That's this right. thing was was really happening. Yeah. Um, I know that when the American troops first went in there, there was this unrealistic expectation that it was going to be all over by Christmas. Oh, yeah, like, that, like, yeah, yeah, like they went in in June and, yeah. you know, you'll be back for Christmas. That's right. That's right yeah. And, uh, well, it didn't go that way because it turns out that the North Korean army was a lot more fierce. And, in fact, they were uh, they were equipped by the Soviets. So they mm-hmm. had great tanks, great guns, mm-hmm. all of that kind of thing. So what was your perception of your time there? Did you think that it was just going to be this this quick tour of duty and then you were going to be out? Or did you find yourself having to kind of recalibrate your yeah, expectations? Yeah. And, and, well, you see, you know, it just goes on and on, doesn't it? We, we, I landed in Korea in, well, my, my regiment landed in Korea in November 1950. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it was good. Oh, springtime. By Easter. Yeah, no problem. We'll be home by Easter. Of course we weren't. But it, was it demoralizing? Because the other thing is it wasn't, it seems like it wasn't really clear what the goals were because, you know, maybe UN forces were ahead for a while and then the North Korean forces mm. would, would fight back and be mm. ahead of the game well, for a while. Well, that's what was all about. At one time we found ourselves, we'd, we'd fought right up to the Chinese border. That all the way to the Chinese border. So, like, so past the 38th parallel. Absolutely. Up, th- up through oh, North wow, Korea yeah, yeah, and yeah. then up to China. Yeah. And and was the idea at that stage, because I know MacArthur, General MacArthur, who was overseeing the whole thing, mm. his idea was, hey, boys, maybe we just go right into China. Yeah, yeah. Was that on the, yeah. the cards? Yeah, it was, it was a possibility, you know. But, but of course, the other thing is, when you're in a situation like that, the worst, the bad word is rumor. Right. As soon as rumor starts, you know, or somebody might viciously start a rumor going... Because guys do that. It's the same as people troll now, don't they? Yes. You know, it's the sa- same sort of mentality in my view. So but they would start rumours or they would say, yeah, you know, I heard it from so-and-so. But you, you just ignored it. But it was, a, it was a confusing situation. Sometimes war is. And, I mean, speaking of rumours, one of the ones I think that was being kicked around at the time was maybe 
the atomic bomb was oh, yeah. going to be dropped again. What did again, you again? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That 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 was that was always at the back of everybody. Says, yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll drop the bomb, you know, and it'll all be over. <laughs> but you're like, hi, we're here. <laughs> yeah, we're downwind. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> By the way, where are you going to pop it? Yeah. <laughs> Can I get out of the way, please? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a very striking country. Career, isn't it, Colin? Yeah. Geographically, yeah. in terms of its climate, very, very mountainous. Yeah. And it has those extremes, those blisteringly hot summers. Absolutely. Freezing winters. How was that? Oh, dear. Don't ask me. <laughs> well, I got, I, I lost my hearing out there. That's why I wear two hearing aids. Mm. Uh, and, and also, I got frostbite in both of my legs. The temperature up in the mountains with a wind chill factor could go down to as far as. It, it was felt like 40, you know, probably wasn't, but 40 below. Oh. One of the things that we used to do quite a lot of, um, I keep on talking about our American friends, but they were great to us because they were so generous. We used to, we could exchange um, booze for, for American clothing sometimes, and some of their, their army clothing was absolutely superb. They had this thing called a... A hat. Uh, this did it have ear flaps on it? Yeah, like yeah. A, like it had a, flaps, and then it had a peak that came down. Oh, like a like a like a Sherlock Holmes yeah, hat you, in you, a way. You, or? you tied out underneath, and gosh, they were lovely and warm. Of course, you see the other thing about about our American friends is, was there a very strong against against alcohol? Oh, I know what you're talking about, but that would have been during Prohibition, uh, yeah. like the temperance, like That's women's right. temperance. The ladies society. of America, very uh, strict auxiliary. Yeah, yeah. women's. And they didn't auxiliary. want all their their their, uh, their soldiers getting drunk. Okay. So they were allowed one can of Pabst beer a day. Now, what the hell can you do with nothing? <laughs> but we had the naffy, and and I could we could I could buy as much beer as I liked. How did the conflict develop? It seems. Looking back, that the first year was that the armies were all quite mobile, and mm. and there was a great deal of mm. territory exchange. And then it seemed to settle into a a grind, yeah, for the next couple yep. of years. Yeah, it did, it did. There we were gone by then. But but curiously enough, there was there was a, a stage in 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 the proceedings in 1951, sometime uh, when everything went silent, and orders came from on high. Uh, look. It looks as if there's going to be an armistice. Settle in, make yourselves comfortable, uh, and 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 see what happens. Um, and that lasted for a little while, and then all of a sudden it said, "Oh no, come on, there isn't going to be a, an armistice. It's all going to happen again." So back to the units, and I was sent back to the unit again. And so, were you still in Korea when the famous Battle of Incheon happened? Where they went around. Do you know, I, I read that, and of course, Incheon was not a lot to do with the British. That, 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 the Incheon battle, as I recall, Incheon is not all that far from Seoul. Mm-hmm. And, and it was an American Marines, I think there were some Brit- British Marines as well. Yes, yes. But it was a Marines assault. Yes. Um, amphibious and, and, assault. An amphibious assault. Yeah. So it was little to do with okay. me as an ordinary, <laughs> as right. an ordinary soldier. I guess I'm just trying to get a sense of um, there's no clear course in the battle. It's what you say anyway about war, which is it's it's not very direct. It's not like you go from A to B to C and then it's over. No, it's very fluid. Yeah, it's very fluid. It's very confusing. Yeah. Um, were you there when the armistice, the actual armistice no. was announced? Oh, no, no. Okay. Well, 
This is the Pan Manjom business. Yes. Yeah. No, 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 we weren't. We'd already gone by then and we say instead of going going home, we went to Hong Kong. So you would have been in Hong Kong when you heard that there was yes. the armistice. Oh, yes, rather, yeah, yeah. Announced in Pan Manjom. Yeah, yeah. What were your feelings when you heard it was oh, announced? Oh, well, we, you know, we were so pleased, really, you know. And, of course, um, what had happened was I, I was able to claim my wife a free passage from UK. So she traveled on a troop ship, like a lot of our wives, and, and we established our, our, we started our married life in Hong Kong. Oh. I hadn't seen it for two years. So, so. Were you worried you might not get on, if that's not a silly question? Because you've, mm-hmm. what? because two years is an awful long time when you're a man of 20. Were you, yeah. were you, you worried some of the magic might have gone or you might have changed? I thought so, but she was she was a very pretty girl, you know. She's <laughs> 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 all mine, and and she travelled out on this troop ship, and and I remember I went down to the docks to meet meet the ship, and she was looking at me from up above, of course, you know, with the ship, and so I was waving like mad, and she came down the gangplank, and she said, "If I never hear bagpipes again, it'll be too soon." <laughs> Well, because she was on, on the ship with the first battalion, the Black Watch, a Scottish regiment who played bagpipes <laughs> from dawn to dusk. You know, that was the first remark. The second remark was, "Do you know you've got a ball patch?" <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Joan. <laughs> so, thanks, darling. Yeah, I had, apparently I had a patch there. I didn't know. <laughs> so well, that's where we started our married life. Was she exactly as as you'd? Remembered. Exactly, yeah. She was as pretty as ever. Uh, one interest in life, apart, yes, was dancing, because we used to dance all the time. Were you a good mover? Yes, I was, actually, yes. We used to really love ballroom dance. I've been taught, and she, she was a very good dancer. So getting back to your final days in Korea, yeah. how did your time there wind down, or, or, or did it wind down? Maybe it was just a sudden... You're out. No, it was. It was the, literally that. I mean, we were gathered together, um, come down, you know, it, it's the end for you, handover, and we hand over to the next unit coming in. So the next unit coming in was 14 regiments, and we, we just waited there until one of their, office, their their parties came up, and they come up the hill, took over from us, and took our radio and that sort of thing, and off we went. That was it. Finished for us. Incredible. And did you have a sense of accomplishment that you had done anything? Or was it just a, a fact of like, you, you don't have any effect on the world? You don't even leave a dent because it's so chaotic? No, no, no because, because you, you, you think, well, okay, that was interesting. I wonder what happened then. You know? Because the thing is also, the thing that definitely gets me and, and a lot of guys, is there's still the fact that there's a north and a south, and there's a bloody great, excuse my French, but no man's land between. Yeah, the... the, the Demilitarizing. Yeah. So what was it all about? What, so, yeah, because that's exactly it. You're pushing, like at one stage, the UN forces are all the way to China, then you yeah. get pushed back down to the yeah. you know the south mm-hmm. of the peninsula, mm-hmm. and then at the end of the day, the 38th Peninsula, you're mm-hmm. right back where you started yeah, from, yeah. north and south. Mm-hmm. And when you finally came back to Britain, mm-hmm. what was the awareness of what had been going on in Korea? Was it, I'm just wondering if there was a sense of like World War II fatigue in the yeah. UK. So it's like, you know, oh. I saw that. I saw that in your brief and I thought, what a good phrase. It, it, it was exactly that. 
um, that, that it wasn't all that long after the you know World War, and people say, oh gosh, what's happening? And a lot of people didn't know anything about it. They didn't know anything about Korea, no. the Korean War. No, when, when, when I was told I was going to Korea, I said, well, where's that? <laughs> Korea, never heard of it. But so, And it was a long time. It's still called the Korean Forgotten War. Still called. The thing that struck me, Katie, when we've been researching this, is, is how I certainly knew very little about it, was the scale of this war. A war that lasts three years but sees 36,000 American deaths, that sees mm. three million deaths overall, an awful lot mm. of whom are mm. civilians. Mm. The destruction on both sides of the border, um, the fact that more ordnance was dropped in that war than had been dropped in the Second World War. Mm. It, it was an epic, con- an absolutely epic conflict. Well, they ran out of targets, didn't they? Um, I mean, every city and village had been bombed so many mm. times, uh, like mm. nothing was left to... Mm to destroy just incredible have you have you been back to korea no no i i was often tempted quite honestly when it first came about because i was in the korean veterans association for a number of years and it it was offered some years ago and quite honestly i couldn't afford it at the time and i've been offered again and quite honestly i'm too old now and mm. at my age I, I i'm not i'm not really fond of traveling I've done enough of it in my life, and I'd love it. I mean, I'm still in touch with Korean people all the time, you know, um, and they're very good to us. The Korean, um, the embassy, uh, and the and the Korean association in this country, they're so good to us. That's very interesting. I, I don't know that I would expect that um, necessarily. Although technically, you're part of the UN forces that were there to protect. South Korea and advance their interests. So um, what is your perception of how the South Koreans consider the British and the American soldiers and the rest well, of the Well, if, if, if the the attitude of people that I meet here in Britain were anything to go by, they are wonderful. I, I mm-hmm. can't praise them enough. And one thing I was able to say on, on Korean TV only two weeks ago is that, that, that one thing, and I sincerely mean this, I don't, I'm not a person who uses bull a lot. Uh, having left Korea in ruins, it amazes me what you've done to the country. When, when I first took the job on, they said, this is where we're broadcasting from a beautiful building in Seoul. And I said, look what you've done, you know. I mean, I know it's a long time, 70 years, but crumbs, you know. I've even had a Korean car, but they aren't, they're very good to us. Now, I think we're in for a treat, Katie, because, Colin, you're going to sing for us. But before you do, and I'm looking forward to that hugely, what's your overriding memory of your time in Korea? I say, I say it, it's my, my, currently, as, as I sit here at my age now and think about it, I think what I've, t- what I've already said, it's a shame. It's a shame when I look at videos of the thing, sort of thing that are happening in North Korea, and I think it's awful, some of the awful things that happen. And Have you ever seen on their parades, a Russian-type parade, and thousands yeah. of people? With, other, with the goose-stepping. Yeah, how on earth they afford it? You know, armies don't come cheap. Um, and then there's this gap, this, this between North and South. I think it's such a shame. Because it is a nice country. It's a lovely country. Um, and it's a country of, you say, of hills and mountains and plains but it is nice when you get you know when you got to see some of the nicer parts of 
of Korea when it hadn't, you know, when we first went there, before it had been damaged a lot. It really is a very pretty place. So it's little pretty villages and that's really nice. Do you think that it would have been better if the Korean War hadn't been fought at all? I don't know, thinking about it, I think it was an, an inevitability, really. Um, when you when you read back and you read back all the sort of things that have been happening, the political things that have been happening, mm. um, I think it was inevitable there was going to be some sort of conflict. Shame, shame. War's an awful business. Um, I know as a professional soldier for a lot of years, I'm glad I haven't got to do it anymore. You served your time. You have a medal from the Korean War. I'd love to see it. Well, I have several, actually. Uh, Well, well, the ones I wear, when I put my scarlet on in a minute. Um, But uh, this is one some years ago. um, I was called to a restaurant in the Strand, and um, I was told I was going to get this medal. And it was presented by the Korean ambassador. There, look, this this one here was one that was presented by Sigmund Rhee years and years and years ago. But because they're not British red medals, I can't wear them on uniform. And I'm, I, I, you know, I, I'm not very happy that I can't because I wear uniform. Yes. You know, the scarlet is a uniform. Yes. Um, I can only wear medals that are approved by the Army Medal Office, and of course. By the, by the Queen, really. Right. Well, these as these are not official, um, I'd love to be able to wear it because you should see it's a very attractive medal. So, so, so yes, these are tre- these are little treasures I have. Nice. Uh, now, so, so talking about treats you've brought us, I think that the most exciting treat you've brought us, Colin, is your voice. Would you mind giving Katie and I a personal concert? Certainly not. Certainly not. Katie Puckwick, would you care to do us an introduction? Tom Fordyce, nothing would delight me more. It gives me great pleasure to introduce Korean War veteran and oldest winner of Britain's Got Talent and the biggest lover of life ever, Colin Thackeray singing What a Wonderful World. I see skies of blue and dried roses too. I see them bloom for me and for you. And I think to myself, What a wonderful world. The colors of the rainbow, so pretty in the sky, are also on the faces of people going by. I see friends shaking hands, saying, how do you do? They're really saying, I love you. I hear babies cry, I watch them grow, they'll learn much more than I'll ever know, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world, oh yes, I think to myself, what a wonderful Thank you. Colin Thackeray, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your life with us. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you very much for asking me. 
So that is it for another episode. We've got Marlon Brando as our episode next week with another special guest. And you can track us down on social media at Spread That Fire. You can leave us a review or subscribe or do it all. Email us at fire at crowdnetwork.co.uk and tell us your deepest thoughts. Crowd Network, a place where you belong. Hello, my name is Peter Zablocki, and I'm a historian, author, and college professor. I'm thrilled to invite you to check out Evergreen Network's History Shorts podcast. Every Tuesday and Thursday, join me on a journey through time, exploring the little-known and hidden gems of history. In each bite-sized episode, I'll dive into my original research to bring you intriguing historical curiosities you've probably never heard of, uncovering the fascinating stories that have shaped our world, from forgotten figures to overlooked events. And the best part? I've condensed all this historical goodness into manageable chunks, perfect for your on-the-go lifestyle. Whether you're commuting to work or squeezing in a quick break, History Shorts fits into the little time you probably think you don't have. Subscribe now and never miss an episode of the History Shorts podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era, like Cuba and Vietnam, and I'll unpack the conspiracy theories, too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st. Hello, everyone. My name is Tom Kearns, and I host the Anglo-Saxon England podcast, where I cover the history and culture of England from the departure of the Romans in the 5th century to the Norman Conquest in 1066. So far, we've surveyed the collapse of Roman rule in Britain, the migration of the Anglo-Saxons, and the history of Northumbria from its beginnings in the mists of legend to its destruction at the hands of Viking raiders in the 9th century. I hope you'll come and give it a go.